Indeed, God is faithful. His faithfulness is great. And as we prepare to look at His Word together this morning, I feel compelled to share with you all that over the last few weeks, I have been uh, especially overwhelmed and encouraged by the great faithfulness and the providence of the God that we worship. Many of you know that we've been journeying together through God's Word in the book of Genesis. And as I mapped out uh, the spring's biblical text for this sermon series several months ago, uh, I noticed that as it just so happened that Genesis chapter 22, which is a story of the testing of Abraham when he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, uh, lined up exactly with Easter Sunday. I was amazed by that. At the time, as I thought about the fact that I don't think we could pick any other story or chapter from God's Word in Genesis that uh, more adequately parallels the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place that we remember, and then His resurrection from the dead that we subsequently celebrate on Easter Sunday. What I didn't realize at the time was that the faithfulness of God and the providence of God in this particular Uh, layout of his word extends far beyond that for even the week before Palm Sunday we uh, read about the coming of the long expected and awaited child Isaac the one that was promised Abraham and Sarah had been waiting on to arrive we saw how that parallels the long awaited coming of Jesus the one who is our Messiah one who we remember coming into Jerusalem on the Sunday before Easter. Now, after a week, uh, many in in our church family, in fact, our church family as a whole, has been grieving over the loss of one who is part of our own church family, young Millie Aliyah. And now we come to the very next chapter in God's Word, Genesis chapter 23, which records for us the death of one of God's daughters. A chapter that is all about death and the grave. And for the people of God, gaining a perspective in which to view death and the grave in light of God's plans and God's promises. And as Christians, when we are suffering or experiencing heartache or a sense of despair or hopelessness or loss, we find great comfort in the Word of God and we find comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and following. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter 23, I want to invite you to hear from this portion of God's Word found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. God's Word reads, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus with me as we look at the word of God together found in Genesis chapter 23 as we approach his word expecting to hear from the divine author of this book who desires to teach us and to fill us and to encourage us and to challenge us and to convict us and to shape us 
and to transform us more and more into his image as we grow closer to him and hear from him through his word. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 23. I'm going to read the chapter in its entirety beginning in verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Verse 5, the Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. So are you tracking so far with what is taking place here? We're reading this chapter in Genesis chapter 23 that records the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. 127 years old, she dies. And Abraham grieves over her loss. He, he mourns her loss. He weeps over her. And then the pressing urgency of arrangements, funeral arrangements, burial arrangements, causes him to ask strangers in a foreign land, Hittites, not his home. He asks them for a place to bury his wife. And ultimately, it would be a place that he would be buried and that his descendants would be buried. We pick up the story in verse 10 as these negotiations for a gravesite are taking place. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Verse 14, Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. Verse 17, so Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Church, the recipients of God's promises have a hope that extends beyond the grave. The recipients of God's promises, the people of God, people like Abraham and Sarah here in Genesis chapter 23, have a hope that extends beyond this life, a hope that extends beyond death, a hope that extends beyond the grave. I believe that is the central message that God has for us as his people gathered here today at Meadowbrook Baptist Church from his word. And if you'll remember the story and allow us to enter into this story in the context of God's greater story as we remember what has taken place so far in the life of this ancient couple, Abraham and Sarah. Remember that Abraham was called by God called by God to leave his homeland and to follow the Lord's direction, 
to go to a place, a place unknown to him, but a place in which the Lord would show him. And as a result of Abraham's faith, the Lord would bless him, do a number of things for him. The Bible says in Genesis 12 that he would bless him, that he would make his name great, implying that he would have many descendants, a legacy that lived on after him. Also promised that he would become a great nation, implying that they would be given a land as a nation would need. And now here, after many years of waiting, and we saw this a couple weeks ago, after decades and decades of waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises, this couple does have a child. They have one child that God miraculously provided in their old age, Isaac, and now Isaac is a grown man, but they still have no land. And Sarah dies. Sarah dies. So as they have been waiting on the fulfillment of God's plans, on the fulfillment of His promises, the fulfillment of what He has said that He is going to bring about in them and through them, and ultimately through their descendants, this couple, though they are elderly in age, have no grandchildren. One son, no grandchildren, no land to call their own. So Abraham grieves for his wife and begins to make arrangements for the burial of his life, of her life. And her death, no doubt, is a reminder to him, as any death should be to all of us, that, that we are mortal creatures, that, that our own death, without the Lord's intervention, without his coming first, is going to take place. And the reality, according to God's word, And shown to us here by the example of Abraham and Sarah is that God's people will suffer loss before experiencing the fullness of His blessing. God's people will suffer loss before experiencing the fullness of His blessing. Have you ever used the quote or heard the language? You you can't rise to the top until you hit rock, rock bottom. I don't think that's always true or certainly not entirely true, but there is definitely an element of truth in it because we know that though God cares for us and provides for us and shepherds us and directs us in this life, this world is still affected greatly by sin and the effects of sin and the fullness of God's blessing, the greatness of His blessing will never be found this side of eternity, as long as we are in this world. The reality is that all suffer in this life. All experience heartache and a sense of hopelessness and despair to some degree or another at various points and at various times to various degrees in this life. And as believers, as Christians, as people of faith, this often makes us question and and wonder, how does despair, how does heartache, how does... Death even fit into God's blessing and plans and purposes. How do these two things mesh? After all, Jesus said, referring to Satan, referring to the devil, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come to give life and life to the full. Well, if abundant life or life to the full is found in Jesus, then Why do His people, just like everyone else in this world, experience despair, grief, and suffering, and loss, and 
and heartache. Well, this is a question that though Abraham didn't know Jesus yet. He knew God, but he didn't know Jesus in the flesh. He didn't know the fulfillment of God's great plan of redemption. This is the same sort of question that Abraham is having to wrestle with him. That Abraham is having to deal with here as God has promised him great things. And now, before those things have been fulfilled, his, his wife has left him. And no doubt, his death is coming soon. But it was an opportunity for him to demonstrate great faith in God. And his actions recorded here in this chapter, I believe, show that he had faith in God. That he recognized that as a recipient of God's promises, he had a hope that extends beyond the grave. A hope that extended beyond just his lifetime as he began to deal with and to recognize the fulfillment of God's plans. God's promises that had been declared to Abraham would not be fulfilled in his own lifetime. He recognized that God's plans and purposes were greater and larger than just his own life. And as people of faith today, we also, we also must realize that God's plans and purposes are, are beyond, are greater than just our lives. Like Abraham, God's people believe that His promises span generations. Promises of God span generations. Go from life to life, from century to century, from millennium to millennium, throughout eternity. His plans are much broader, much greater than our plans. It's truth. Certainly conveyed in God's Word. It's conveyed... The words of the Lord that were spoken through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 55 beginning in verse 8. We read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen to those words again. Words from the Lord recorded in Isaiah chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than, than your thoughts. So I reflected some on that truth over the last few days. I was reminded of an experience, an event in my own childhood at the age of 10 or 11 when I went hunting for one of the first times with the guys in the family and we set out one weekend and we went uh, deer hunting and I know some of you probably think oh no hunting don't tell us a story about hunting this is not going to be a gruesome story or anything like that but I can remember uh, that occasion as a child and sitting in a deer stand all morning with my with my grandfather and uh, seeing nothing no luck at all and so after you know, the morning is over, we're, we're worn out, we began to gather back at the truck with the rest of the guys, and what do you know, as we're standing there talking, here comes some deer prancing through the forest to, to the top of the hill, and, and they stop, and they just kind of look at us like, what are you guys, and what are you doing with the truck in the middle of the woods, it doesn't belong there, and so as we're standing there, and my Uncle Richard is there with me, and my Uncle Richard says to me what any good old country boy does uh, in uh, the woods during deer season, he says, all right, son, get your rifle up real easy now and shoot one of them. Here's my chance. So I began to raise my little rifle up, and as I do, I, I can't hardly hold the thing still. You know, I'm nervous, and the thing's heavy, and I, I just I, I can't 
I can't hold it still. But then I began to look through the scope and I realized that a shaky hand is the least of my worries because all I can see is this giant black bear charging us. Why are you laughing? Probably because you don't believe me. And you shouldn't because that's not true. What I saw was a giant tree and other things that were magnified to whatever times their normal size, and I realized that I could not find the deer in the scope. And so I wish I had the conversation recorded between my uncle and me that followed, because neither one of us could understand how in the world we could see these animals with the naked eye right there, and then every time I looked through the scope, it was like they were gone. Church, sometimes I think that we go through life looking through a scope. We go through seeing precise details, but we fail to see the larger story. We fail to see the grander story and the one who is writing that great story. We fail to see the greatness of God's plan because we are so consumed with the details of our own lives. And folks, here in Genesis chapter 23, Abraham no doubt reflected the death of his wife and mourned the loss of his life. He he was shown the realization and had to grapple with the realization that death comes, that heartache comes, that hopelessness comes, that despair comes in this life. But God's plans would continue. His great story and His plans and His purposes, though not always understood by us, would continue and extend beyond the grave. He was not finished with them yet. And he would continue to to work through the circumstances of their living and the circumstances of their dying for his greater good and his greater plan and his greater promises. And it's important for us to note as we seek to understand God's word here recorded in Genesis chapter 23 that, that Abraham did not follow the the normal cultural practice of his day here. The normal practice would have been for for him to pack up and to go to his ancestral homeland and for his wife to be buried there and ultimately for him to be buried there and his children to be buried there. But no, he, he stayed where God had led him to go. Though they had no land there, still not seeing the fulfillment of God's plans, they trusted in God's word and there was no turning back for this man. He knew that God had led them there and he knew that God had promised that his descendants would be in that land. And as an act of faith, he purchased land there as a foreigner there, ultimately for his own for his wife's gravesite, his own gravesite. And his children and his children's children would eventually be buried there as well as an act of faith in the God who had called them. He believed in in what he could not yet see. After all, that's what faith is, is it not? Scripture says that faith is confidence. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Turn with me to that chapter, far to the right. Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible. Hold your place in Genesis 23. We'll we'll come back there. But Hebrews chapter 11, as the author of Hebrews writes this chapter and spends a good portion of it giving us a glimpse, really a a a glimpse into the spiritual reality 
of what has taken place in Abraham's life during this time period. Hebrews chapter 11, picking up the story in verse 8. There God's word reads this way. By faith, Abraham, called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Look at this. Don't miss this. Verse 13, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And just like Abraham, when he is talking to the Hittites in Genesis chapter 23 and expressing his desire to purchase land from them, acknowledges that he is a foreigner, that he is a stranger in this land, in the land of Canaan. He has left his home and found himself among a foreign people. So the author of Hebrews tells us that all believers, all people of faith, all of God's children are strangers and aliens and foreigners in another land as long as we are on this earth and we await another home. For this is not our home. Paul makes this clear in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, when he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Do you believe in the eternal hope that has been provided and extended to us through Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gives us a great hope that goes beyond the grave. A hope that extends far beyond this life. A hope that extends beyond death. For, for believers, death is simply a doorway, an entryway into the eternal presence and enjoyment of our Maker and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. I talked with one member of our church not long ago, just a few days ago really, that, that no doubt knows this hope. It believes this hope. And we were talking the week before Easter and she was telling me about how many dozens of eggs that she had to be dyed for Easter with the family. And I sat there talking with her and my immediate response was, well, that's a lot of dying and realized what I was saying. I said, the good kind of dying, not the other kind of dying. And she looked at me. She honestly looked at me with such joy in her face and said, oh, the other kind of dying would be far, far better for me. And she could say that. And everyone who knows and follows Jesus Christ and is reconciled with her maker can say that because they know in the words of the Apostle Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain.
the one that we follow, the one that we know, the one who is our Lord is the resurrection and the life. John 11, verse 25. I want, to join me, I want you to join me back in Genesis chapter 23 as we trace a theme that is, that is found here, the central theme of this chapter. I don't think we're intended to miss this, but if you're anything like me upon first reading of this chapter, you you may have missed it like I did. But I want you to listen as I walk through portions of this chapter. I want you to listen for the repetition of words like dead, died, bury, burying. Look back at Genesis chapter 23, verse 2. She died. Speaking of Sarah, Sarah died. Verse 3. Abraham rose from beside his dead wife, spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property, verse 4, for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Verse 6, they responded to him, You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Verse 8, he said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. Skipping down to verse 11. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Verse 13, once again. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me. If you will, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Verse 15, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead dead. And one more time, verses 19 and 20. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Folks, we are not supposed to miss this as we read God's word and see this intentional repetition over and over and over again. The central theme of this chapter is that death is real, that the grave is real, but the promises and the plans and the hope that is found in the God of the Bible extends beyond the grave. And death is simply an opportunity, provides an opportunity for the people of God to demonstrate their faith in God. God's people demonstrate their faith when confronted with death. God's people demonstrate their faith when confronted with death. Remember that Abraham had been promised a land. His descendants had been promised a land, a desirable land, the land of Canaan, a land that the Bible describes as a land flowing with milk and honey, and now they're coming to the end of their lives. Isn't it interesting, isn't it ironic that the only land, the only portion of that land that they now have, Abraham has purchased with his own money and he's purchased it for a gravesite. But it was an opportunity for him to practice his faith in God, his trust in God, that the fulfillment of God's promises would indeed come about. Folks, we have been reminded once again that death is real, Death is an opportunity that leads us to grieve, leads us to heartache. Death is a natural part of living, but living hope in the God of Scripture, living hope in the one who is the resurrection and the life, living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
leads us to an eternal perspective on the promises and the plans of God. Living faith in Him sustains us as we face death. And we can face death as believers in a way that the rest of the world cannot. We face death with hope. The hope of eternal life. Folks, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, the Bible says, but have eternal life. This is a promise from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a promise from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This too, church, is a promise from God. God and as people of faith who believe in the promises of God who believe the word of God let's walk by faith in God's promises let's walk by faith in his promises for his promises are sure and his word is true what he says he will accomplish what he is doing is far larger far grander far greater than what what any of us know and can see today and because we as Christians believe in God's promises. And we believe that we have a hope that extends beyond the grave. Let's proclaim the eternal hope of the gospel. Proclaim the eternal hope of the gospel and walk by faith in God's promises. Church, we of all people, we of all people have a a hope. And a hope that extends beyond present circumstances of our lives, a hope that extends beyond the grave. And it is a great and magnificent hope that a troubled world desperately needs to know. So as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, let's be proclaimers of the truth that is known through Jesus Christ. Let's be proclaimers of the gospel of grace, a grace that provides eternal hope for all. Father, we are grateful for the truths of your word. We're grateful for the opportunity once again, Lord, to look at your word and to hear from you through your word. Lord, I do pray that the truths that are found in your word would be so evident in our lives today. Lord, the reality of a hope in you, a living hope in and through Jesus Christ, Lord, that it would be obvious to each of us on this day, on this Lord's day and in the days ahead. May you give us strength and perspective to live in light of the eternal life that you give us. And Lord, we are grateful for it. Help us to walk by faith in you. Lord, help us to be proclaimers of your truth. For the good of others, Lord, and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.